And that's a song that ought to resound in our hearts and our minds and our lives. The, the, the sound of the goodness of God being echoed through His children. Aren't you glad we have a good God? Aren't you glad that you're beloved of God? And it's just a great thing to be loved. I've got some folks I know, some friends, and uh, of course I've been exposed to a lot of people through the years. I've got some folks who, uh, who are of the mindset, and this is becoming increasingly a mindset in the kind of the culture that we live in, that we don't really need people. Particularly as Christians, we come to God, uh, we have all we need in Christ. He is completely sufficient for all of our needs. He's completely sufficient. And, and the more mature I am, the more it's just Jesus and me. And I don't really need a lot of other people. The only problem with that statement is it's not true. Uh, it's not even what the New Testament teaches. Uh, I have some friends who are friends with the whole world. You guys know people like that? They're just friends with everybody. Everybody starts default status. They're just friends. And then I've got other people who are like, I have three friends, and they're my friends. They can't be your friends. They're my friends. And I'm very protective of those relationships. And, of course, then those who feel like they have no need for any friends or any close, intimate relationships at all. Let me, let me tell you where we're going in this text. The Apostle Paul has already reminded us that we're in Christ that we have been raised with Christ, that Christ is total and complete and sufficient. And in Christ's wisdom, God our Creator, in His wisdom, He determined that loneliness and isolation is not good. We're designed to live in relationships with one another. And there are things that harm those relationships. There are things that are so detrimental to our relationship with God and the relationship to others that we have to take those off and to be obedient to God, to reflect His holiness, to be His holy children. There are things we have to take off. And we already looked at that passage of Scripture. We took three Sundays specifically to look at three categories of things that we have to take off that divide us. Sexual immorality is one of those. Sinful anger is one of those. We see those things uh, abundantly clear. Uh, malice and and pride is one of those. We have to be humble and now we come to put on but what we're putting on are those things that enable intimate close relationships in the context of Christian community now I want you to get this in the context of Christian community in the context of the church we're supposed to have friends we're supposed to be friends we're supposed to love one another in a way that the world cannot because they don't have the capacity to. All right, and so we're going to look at that. Jesus had friends. He called his disciples his friends. As a matter of fact, you guys will remember when we went to the Gospel of, of Luke, in almost every chapter, Jesus intentionally uses the word friends. The Apostle Paul was a traveling missionary and sometimes pretty abrasive, sometimes pretty... Abrupt, but Paul was a man who surrounded himself with friends. In Second Timothy, by the way, I would encourage you to do the questions, particularly questions two and three in the application guide. When you, when we look at, I think it's two and three. Anyway, the two questions that look specifically at Second Timothy, chapter four, where Paul talks about demon Demas has left. He invites Timothy to come. Uh, there are others that he has sent away, Titus, and 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 uh, others that he sent away to other missions and. 
Paul invites Timothy to come quickly. He wants him to bring his cloak and, and his books, uh, which I can relate to. You want to be warm and you want to have a book. Uh, but uh, but he, mostly what he wants is the fellowship that comes from having a, a friend close by. And in Romans chapter 16, I don't know if you've been through that lately, but Paul mentions 35 friends by name. And here's the point. We should be known by the friendships that we have. Our congregation, our church, us. This is, this is not theoretical, philosophical. In just, you know, this is us sitting around here in these pews, looking at one, in these chairs, looking at one another, living life together. We should be defined by friendships that the world does not have and does not know. I have the opportunity to talk with a lot of people and to counsel with people. And there's a recurring theme that, that simply, I don't have friends. I need friends. As a matter of fact, there's a website. I did a Google search, and there's a, this whole, I don't know, it's a Christian blog, but it's, it's not Reddit, but it's, it's similar. And it's, uh, it, it's, I need a friend. And it's this individual who is seeking online for meaningful relationships uh, to help meet some needs in this person's life. Uh, The neat thing, the great thing, is that God has designed that for you and I in the context of face-to-face relationships, in the context of people that we worship with and people that we share. And as we go through this text, I'm going to tell you that a lot of the application as we go all the way through this passage is going to be to apply it to your family. And I want to tell you that's okay up to a point, but that is not the application of this text. The application of this text is not the people that you're biologically related to. The application of this text are people outside of your biological family that you can then connect with and that you can have relationships with. Uh, when I think about us as a body and as a church, I'm concerned that too often we are more acquaintances than friends. And I pray that as we go through this passage and as we study that God will better equip us to be the friends that he would have us to be, to become increasingly a network of real sincere friends Um, and so the church is to be a place that is filled with genuine friendships it's what I believe much of what Jesus intended for his disciples they Jesus was their unifying factor you get that right you got a tax collector in the same group as a zealot who hated those who compromised with the Romans you got James and John who Jesus called the sons of thunder they earned it Okay, you got Peter, quiet, demure Peter. I'm kidding. I'm trying to see if you're paying attention. All right, uh, Andrew. Andrew is probably the nicest one in the group. Okay, uh, as far as we know from personalities that were that were exposed in Scripture, but Jesus was their cohesive factor. He was their common point, and yet he brings all of these widely disparate personalities together and he tells them I want you to love a new commandment I'm giving you and that is that you love each other that you love each other in such a way that all the world knows that you're my disciples by the friendships that you have together and so as we go through this passage of scripture and over the next few weeks we'll go all the way down through verse 17 I just want us to start with just verse 12 today just one verse we can handle that in a few minutes right all right so you know the theme Developing Christians' relationships, being known by our love, having genuine friendships. He begins with put on then. Some translations say clothe yourself. We've talked about what we take off, now what we put on. But the first place that he goes is not to 
interpersonal relationships. Where's the first place that he goes? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The first relationship that he talks about is not the relationship we're supposed to have with others, but the relationship that we have with God. This whole passage is about loving one another, developing and nurturing strong relationships. But he begins by reminding us of the goodness of God to us. He begins by reminding us of the love that God has for us. He calls them, you are God's chosen one. God chose you and selected you. He called you out and called you to himself. Holy, which means set apart, separated. There is a distinct invitation and identification. God not only called you out, he has welcomed you in and embraced you and set you apart to himself. And then beloved are deeply, dearly loved of God. You are the, the, the focus of God's affection, his compassion, his love displayed on the cross, his ongoing love. That makes us unique. Christian friendships always start with the love of God. Non-Christian friendships are based on other things. They're based upon some sort of symbiotic relationship, some sort of shared interest or some sort of compatibility that may come and may, may go. They're based sometimes, sadly, upon codependence. Just, I've got to have my needs in the mat so I have a friend that meets my need. As long as there's some kind of some reciprocation, the relationship continues uh, because it is two people trying to draw from each other the things that they need out of this relationship. I need a friend. I need a friend. And we sound like whiny. This, this website, my, my whole thought when I was looking at this website of I need a friend was go meet somebody and be a friend. Because it, it just had this whole whine feel to it. You know, here I am, poor me. And, and I want you to understand the reason Paul starts with Christ is because he starts with, with God and our love for God because he wants us to know that our sufficiency, we are filled up, we are the object of God's love, we are filled up with love from a source that the world does not have and does not recognize. We are complete in Christ in order that we may have the relationships that he has intended for us to have. When it's needy and needy, rather than one that is supplied, meeting others' needs. Uh, one preacher described it like this, friendships in the world sometimes like two ticks without a dog. I thought that was pretty good. The tick draws its sustenance from the dog, and so you get ticks drawing from each other. There's a lot of need there in that circumstance and in that situation. And so Paul starts and he says, I want to remind you something. You're holy. You're holy. You are set apart to God. God chose you, and he has wrapped you up. You are beloved. You are deeply loved. Now let's talk about how you can be in healthy relationships, how you can be a friend. It's the foundation, it's the basis for which true Christian friendships are founded upon. Let, let me see if I can illustrate this in another way. Uh, we were talking in Sunday school briefly about 1 John. And I would encourage you, it's just five chapters, you can read it in about 12 minutes. I would encourage you just to, to read it over and over and over again. There's such great truth. Of course, there's great truth throughout Scripture. But John, in 1 John chapter 4, he makes it abundantly clear how we can love one another. You remember the command, love one another, love one another, love one another? Well, he tells us how. In 1 John chapter 4, he's been talking about love through his whole letter. And in verse 
7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We are able to love one another because we are the recipients of God's love. Down in verse 11, a few verses later, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Because of His great love for me, I am able to rightly love others. In contrast, the world's a little bit different. In the world, it's a negotiation. In the world, it's a hopefully they strive, or the mindset is you strive for a 50-50 relationship, or maybe you can call it a 100-100, but it's some sort of equity in this. I invest in you, you give me something that I want or something that I need. Christian love, however, is the abandonment of self for the benefit of someone else. How about that? It's sacrificial. It's the kind of love Christ has for us. It's the abandonment of self for the benefit of someone else. Paul starts with God's love for us so that we recognize that we are set apart as Christians. We don't go out looking for friendships to to find love, to fill some vacuum in our hearts. Rather, because we are loved, because we have received God's perfect love, we go to give love. We're not filling a vacuum. We're giving out of the overflow with which God has loved us. That's where we start. And so the first point on your outline, if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to, the way that you become the friend that God would have you to be is you get your security from Him. You know that you are secure in God's love. He loves you. He cherishes you. He has demonstrated and continues to demonstrate His love for you. You know you've been saved. You know you've been washed. You know that God is no longer against you, but now He is for you. And you need sometimes just to go back to Romans chapter 8. Go to the end of that chapter. In fact, go back all the way up to verse 18 and just read all the way through the end of the chapter. If God be for us, and He is, who can be against us? No one. You can be accused. It doesn't make any difference. God is the one who has justified us. And nothing can separate us from The love of God. And so you are secure and safe because there's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. There's no mistake. There's no failure that you can make. You are completely surrounded because God's love is based in His character and He has chosen to pour it out on you. You guys know that insecure people don't make the best friends? Do you you know what I mean? People who are continually needing constant affirmation. People who are unsure of their safety. I hope that you came from a family of origin where you were loved and deeply loved. Where people did not leave you and did not abandon you. But I will tell you that more and more and more, that is not the case. More and more and more, we have families that are divided and that are split. We have families where people are there for a while and then they're gone and you don't see them again. And what that does to children, you can ask, you can, you can ask any counselor here. What that does to children is it gives them insecurity, not a feeling of safety and security. When I tell you, let me, let me give you good news. When you came to Christ, you became adopted into a new family. A father who loves you unfailingly. A father who will not disappoint you. One who nourishes you and cares for you and is sufficient for every need. One who will never leave you. Who will never forsake you and being the recipient of that kind of love 
and finding yourself filled with the fullness of Christ, which we've already read, filled with the fullness of God, it frees you up to take the risk of loving others. And because I know I'm securing God's love, I can risk loving you. I can risk loving people with all their failures, with all their foibles, with all their fallacies and their flaws. <laughs> wow, that was a lot of F's in a row, wasn't it? Did that sound pastoral? Alliteration matters. I can risk loving you. You see, there's a way that we used to think. It's the way that the world thinks. It's like, I need friends for my sake. I need friends for my sake, I need friends to take care of me. I need friends that will keep me from being lonely. I need friends that will do this for me and do that for me. I need friends that will fill a void or fill a gap in my life. I need friends for my sake. And let me tell you what God's Word says. God fills us with His love overflowingly. When we recognize and we rest in our security in Him, that He is our security, that He deeply loves us then we can step into others' lives. And so now we look for friends for His sake. We look for friends. We find friends. We are friends. I am a friend for God's sake. I'm a friend for God's glory. I'm a friend for God's family. I want God to use me, to be in me. I can love you and I can be vulnerable and I can focus on being your friend for God's glory and for the strengthening of God's family and for the value that this kind of love is as a witness to the world. They will know, the world will see the difference and they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. It's the kind of friendship that says, I'm not here trying to get something from you or to get something just for myself. I don't have anything to prove. I'm just here to be your friend. I'm here to care for you and we all need to spend more time understanding the love that God has for us. Part of the reason that we're not better friends than we are is because we don't know how much God loves us. We don't spend time recognizing the, deep, the depth of the security of being the recipient of God's love is. And you need to spend time. You need to spend time in God's Word every day. Seeing the love and the justice and the holiness of God just jump off the pages at you. You need to spend time praying. And I don't mean simply intercessory praying. You need to intercessorily pray. You need to pray for one another. Don't misunderstand me. You must do that. But sometimes we just start with our list. And you need to start by saying hello. Now, you don't have to wake him up. You don't have to get his attention. But he has to get yours. And the way that God gets our attention in quiet time is as we come back and we rehearse to Him who He is and what He has said about Himself and what He has said about us and the love and the grace. And as you make that connection consistently, you get a lot of peace, you get a lot of strength, you get the security that you need. And as you rest securing God's love, then you can take the risk of loving others. You can take the risk of loving others. Then you can... Clothe yourself with compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And there is a risk involved. As a matter of fact, the number two on your outline, because you're resting in the security of God, you can dare to care deeply for others. Now, there are people that we just like. There are people that their personality and our personality just fits hand in glove. There, there are people that we 
We just like. And then there are other people that you have to learn to like. You know what I mean? Where you just kind of like, well, this is a little uncomfortable. This is a little hard. People from different backgrounds and people from different experiences and people with different perspectives on, on different things. But can I tell you that, that the call in this passage of Scripture is to love each other unreservedly? To deepen some friendships, not only with those that you just naturally click with, but to deepen your friendships with those that you have to make an effort to connect with as the body of Christ. He gives in this passage of Scripture, just again, this one verse, put on then, because you're God's chosen one, because you're holy, set apart to God, because you're loved deeply by God, then you put on these things. You put on compassionate hearts. That indicates a very deep feeling, a yearning with the deeply felt affection of Christ Jesus, kind of what is described by Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. It's kind of the picture of what we see in David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel. You guys remember Old Testament David, Old Testament Jonathan, Saul, son, Jonathan? The great stories about what happened, what really happened, historical stories about what happened. But you got this young man, David, who has already been anointed as king. you got Saul, who is the king, and his son, Jonathan, who would normally be his successor, and yet God has chosen David. And yet Jonathan and David knit their hearts together. Matter of fact, I think it's 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It describes their relationship as their souls being entwined one with another. As a matter of fact, in that passage, it's neat how Jonathan shows his friendship to David. He gives him his armor. He gives him his bow. He gives him his sword as a demonstration of the compassion and passion that he has for him. Compassionate hearts, kindness. What is kindness? Can you be kind? Kindness is simply the opposite, the opposite of malice. You want to see kindness? Look at the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 15. Look at the story of Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. Again and again, you see people going out of their way to do good for other people, wishing well and participating in making it happen. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. 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 It means putting the other person first. It means not thinking higher of yourself than you ought. It's uh, what described in uh, Romans chapter 12 and in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do it my way to get what I want, how I want. But in humility count others as more significant than yourself. And then we get to meekness. And nobody, none of us want to be meek. Not even a pretty word, is it? Gentle. The idea here is being under control. Do you know who the most famous person in the scripture who is described as meek most blatantly and most often is after Christ? Moses. Moses who confronted Pharaoh. Moses who led a million and a half Israelites and the occasional Egyptian across the Red Sea and through the wilderness and to Sinai. Moses who spoke the rock and met with God. Moses who who again and again and again demonstrated as a leader God's sufficiency in him and through him. It means to be under control. It means to be sensitive. Patience. Patience is a great word. We all have plenty of patience. Macrothumia. We've taught this 
bursts in this word many times. Macro meaning big or long. Thumia being like your fuse or your temper. And it means you just wait a long time before you give up or before you blow up. It means that you don't quit. It means that you hang in there, steadfast, ongoing. All of these relate to a heart that deeply cares. I need to allow my heart to be intertwined with someone else's. You see, McKenzie wrote years ago, he said, it is, it is so much easier to make enemies than it is to make friends. So much easier to make enemies than it is to make friends. You see, there's work involved. There's risk involved. And the call is to open and to share your heart with someone. There's a vulnerability to real relationships. And you can be hurt. And you will be disappointed. And you will get irritated. And there will be difficult days. But that's why we enter friendships. Filled up with God and His love for us. He never disappoints. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never leaves us on our own. He's promised to be sufficient. And so we can take the, re- the risk of lovingly investing our lives in, the other, in another person for God's glory. A lot to be gained from friendships. But because of God's love for me, I can risk real love in my relationship. So here's a question for you really quick. Can you name, I don't know, four to six people that you say, that's my friend that you can I mean they immediately come to mind four to six can you name twelve Jesus pursued the discipleships and granted I know that it was more than that he pursued the disciples and called them to himself and he had twelve one of them was Judas keep that in mind right but most people, did you know that most people in North America today say they cannot name six close friends that they have? And I want to tell you that as a church, that's on us. Loving one another, taking the risk, genuinely investing in someone's life is a call that we are called to do. I think we've missed this largely as a corporate endeavor. We think that church is a thing that we do, a place that we go, and we have a whole roster of acquaintances, but we don't know anything about them. What their favorite sandwich is, where they like to eat, how they live their life, the struggles that they're going through. And we have to be willing to tangle up our heart, and to tangle up our lives with one another. Can I, can I encourage you to do something? Some of you guys are friends to others and you know, you've never told them. You've never just spelled it out and said, you are my friend. I want to thank you for being my friend. And I want you to know that I am your friend. I may not be a perfect friend. may not be the best friend. But buddy, you are on my list. You are on my list. You are my friend. I'm here. I want you in my life. And I want to be a part of your life. Now, here's the thing to note. This verse starts with, put on. What is the subject of that phrase? Grammarians, what is the subject? It's understood. And it's you, second person plural. You, second person. I know y'all don't like the grammar, but it's important. 
Because he's not saying, come to church and find a friend. You got that, right? It's not saying, how to find friends that will fill up your life and make your life complete. Come to church and you'll just find friends. This, this is not a lesson on how to find friends. What is this a lesson on? How to be a friend. How to be a friend. I remember my sister years ago talking to my mom, complaining about some friendships and saying she just needed some friends and needed some new friends, actually, in that conversation. And my, my mom, with her wonderful wisdom, said, Well, honey, if you want a friend, you have to, what comes next? Be a friend. We know this. This is not rocket science. But what we typically do is we say, Lord, I need you to change that person's character so they can meet my needs. What does this say? Work on your character in order that you may meet their needs. And I want to tell you, this is hard work. This is not a passage on how to find a friendly church or how to find a friend. This is a passage on what it means to be a church, known for its love, what it means to be a person who can be a genuine friend. And so this isn't fix them so they can be my friend. This is fix me so that I can be their friend. Third point, you need to keep working on me. I need to keep working on me. I need to pray that God will work on my character in order to meet their needs rather than praying that God will work on their character in order that they may meet my needs. Because where do I go to get my needs met? I go to God. I go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He, in His wisdom, will bring people into my life that will meet my needs. And He will, through His Word and the presence of His Holy Spirit, meet my needs. He is totally and completely dependable. And because I am secure in Him, then I can dare to care for others. As I ask Him to create in me the character that is necessary to glorify Him by appropriately loving one another. And so this passage is not, Lord, make them, make them compassionate toward me. Lord, make them kind to me. Lord, make them humble to me and honor me. Lord, make them gentle and meek and control. Lord, make them patient. This is God creating me a compassionate heart. Increase my capacity to care. Create in me kindness where when, even when it's a struggle in the relationship that I'm seeking their good, not seeking their harm. Father, keep me humble. Make me a person that does not demand my own way in every circumstance and in every time. Help me to honor them appropriately. Father, keep me meek. Don't let, don't let me be out of control in this relationship. I want to be gentle. Gentle in the sense of being controlled. Strength under control is the word picture that's used there. And Father, make me patient. Help me to stick with it. Help me to stick with it. Does this mean that, should, that there's never a time when you don't dissolve a relationship? I'm not saying that, but that is not in this context. What we're learning here, we sometimes are too quick to pull the trigger on that stuff. And we need to be willing to stick with it for a while. So here's a question. If you were another person, would you want to be your friend? Do you have the character that reflects Christ?
in his love toward us. I'm going to ask some specific things here. First of all, I encourage you to know that you're secure in God's love and because so you can care deeply. And you can have God continue to work on you. But can I, however many friends that you have, close friends. And again, I want to be really specific here. In this congregation. In this congregation. However many friends that you have, are you willing to add another? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a phone call or a visit, a cup of coffee, a meal. It's going to cost you an afternoon, maybe, or an evening. It might cost a change of plans. It's going to cost you some attention, time when you could either be watching TV or sitting there thinking about nothing. Now they're going to be on your mind and on your heart and on your prayer list. It's an investment. It's an investment that God always honors. It's an investment that God always rewards. It's an investment that God will use in your life to refine these characteristics that he's put in this passage of Scripture. But would you reach out and add someone to your list of friends? Getting a little personal. But we ought to be characterized by our love for one another. Why? Because of the love that God has so graciously bestowed upon us. Isn't God good? He gives us <laughs> He gives us these calls to do things that we would not do if He didn't tell us to. And then he gives us the ability to do so. Father, I want to thank you for the love that you have for us. That there was a time when we were lost and separated from you. That there was a time when we were your enemies, ungodly. That there was a time when we didn't know you and that we certainly didn't care for you. And yet you, because you loved us, gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You gave us life in your Son, Jesus Christ, who loves us faithfully and totally and completely. And Father, if there's someone here who's not experienced your love, they're not part of your family, they've never come to the place where they give their life to you, I pray that, that you will convict them and call them, that your Holy Spirit will make them aware that they need you and that they will just give up that they will give all and that they will surrender to you. That you'll save them and wash them and cleanse them. Like you have us. You've washed us. You've cleansed us. You've made us new. You've come to indwell us. And we are never, ever alone. You are the friend who loves closer than a brother. And yet, Father, I think that we need to be better friends with one another. That we need more friends. That we need to be willing to invest our lives in each other. So I pray, Father, knowing that we are chosen, knowing that we are holy, knowing that we are loved by you, that you will give us hearts that are compassionate toward one another. Father, that you will make us kind, desiring the best for one another, honoring one another. That you'll make us 
humble, that we will put others above ourselves in significant in value and worth as we plan our time, as we plan our, our money, as we plan how we invest our days. I pray, Father, that you will make us patient, that we won't give up, that we will be meek and controlled, that we will be gentle, that we will glorify you in the friendships that we have. And I pray that you'll stretch us. I pray that you will stretch us in, in this most wonderfully rewarding of all ways. We trust you to do so. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.